show coming up on December 30th we want to tell you about. 2019 has been a breakthrough year for the wide-ranging indie jam community. Three of the most exciting acts in the larger genre, Riley Walker, Chris Forsyth, and Garcia Peoples, have each released standout records and performed excellent month-long residencies throughout New York City. Now all three are teaming up for a highly anticipated fish after show on December 30th at Le Poisson Rouge. Electric in the Village, presented by Osiris Media. Just a 10-minute ride down the A-line from MSG. The show is sure to go deep into the night and blur the lines between the collective groups. If I say three dates from 2019, many of you will know exactly what I'm talking about. March 5th, March 29th, and October 3rd. Those were three of the best shows that each of these artists have played, all of which are featured on Relisten archive.org and nyctaper.com March 5th, unbelievable Riley Walker, Steve Gunn, Ryan Jewell acoustic jam show March 29th, Garcia People's Natural Facts uh, record release show with Chris Forsyth playing a 32 minute techno top and October 3rd, the first night of the Garcia People's residency at New Blue unbelievable show came out uh, when Dave and I were in Nashville we have followed these artists throughout the year, and we cannot wait for them to celebrate one of the best nights for fish uh, in at La Poisson Rouge. Absolutely. And tickets are on sale now at LPR.com. $15 in advance, $20 a day of the show. $1 of each ticket purchased will be donated to the Waterwheel Foundation, supporting local needs in Vermont. As you all know, December 30th is a standout show for fish. So keep the jams going at Le Poisson Rouge for Electric in the Village, presented by Osiris Media with Riley Walker, Chris Forsyth, and Garcia Peoples. Your 2020 self will thank you from the future. Hey folks, I'm David Goldstein. I am Brian Brinkman. You are tuned in to episode 84 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast where, generally speaking, Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish as a means of getting a listener to listen to other bands. 
These are usually not jam bands because we love fish. We are fish fans. Sometimes the problem with fish fans is they get a bit myopic. They can recall dates, times, everything under the sun about their favorite band, counter to the exclusion of all other bands. We're trying to get you guys out of that hole, but at the same time, this pond is deep, it is wide, and we are really just trying to introduce people to as much new music as possible. Absolutely. And we are here in episode 84 discussing the just finished fall tour run, if you will, of 2019. This was Fish's first seven show, and then it turned into an eight show run down the East Coast following Thanksgiving right into early December. Some really great stuff that happened throughout this uh, little run here. Some really fun shows, some great jams, lowercase jams. A couple shows that we loved, a couple shows we have some pretty significant thoughts on. We're here. We're excited to discuss all of this. It's our first time recapabling current fish since Labor Day and since the summer. And uh, I think we're quite excited to jump into this. Yeah. So some of the themes you can expect to hear in this episode are no repeats, but why? Jams without jams. And overthinking fish. And on that note, let's get to some fish. So as we did in our, I think it was five episodes covering summer 2019 tour, as well as our Dick's 2019 run, we are running through six categories here that cover fall tour, parentheses, run 2019. We've got a couple themes here that we're going to dissect the tour as a result of. We hope that you guys enjoy this. So kicking things off here, we've got the best opening quarter. So, Dave, out of the eight shows that we heard over the last 10 days or so, what would you say was the best opening quarter of the overall tour? I think we were in general agreement on this. We said the Met Philly, December 3rd, going from Hello My Baby, Acapella, then Tweezer, segue directly into Free, Moma Dance, direct segue back into Tweezer, into Blazon, and Jesus Just Left Chicago. This was a... Good unexpected song selections, some very solid jams, excellent segues, kind of uh, match the overall hype surrounding the show. You could tell that they were going for it 
from the jump. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So you get the first Hell of My Baby since June, June 18th, 2009, 417 shows. Later, you get the first Jesus Just Left Chicago since October 22nd, 2014, 186 shows. I think what really struck me about this opening quarter was, you know, they kick it off with Hell of My Baby. You're listening to it on the uh, uh, serious stream. That's all I'll have to say about that. And uh, you're like shocked. Oh, great. It's a bust out. Like they're giving back to all their fans who got into the show. And then, of course, all right, here comes the tweezer. But then tweezer felt it, it to me segued properly into free, but it felt slightly like a bail. The moment when MoMA went back into Tweezer and then Tweezer seamlessly found its way into Blazon was when I was like, okay, they're not just trying to make this a big gig. They're actually playing up to the uh, the overall hype and anticipation of it. Yeah, I was uh, one of those actually fortunate enough to be in that room. Certainly one of those situations where it's going to be impossible to separate uh, the feeling in the room for me to objectively listen to the tape but i really like this first set a lot uh, i like this quarter especially i mean you know it's a well executed tweezer fest the segue from tweezer into free was quite seamless made a ton of sense um i think we'll have a bit more to say about the serious stream later but it's really a little bit difficult to judge this show because it's not what it should have been in our opinion but anyway what do we have for um, our next category? So our next category is the Dave Goldstein Kool-Aid Man Award. Dave, do you want to break down for our listeners what the Kool-Aid Man Award is? Of course. Love to do that. So for those of us who came of age in the 80s, Kool-Aid, of course, being the, uh, the hyper-sugary drink that mothers were waiting for for when their children came home, you took a big sip of the Kool-Aid and it turned you into... Um, big sugar freak with the ability to run through walls what's the kool-aid man the kool-aid man a big anthropomorphic picture of sugar water who ran through walls when he got excited so really this is the jam the tour that makes you want to run through a wall and there's really only one jam of the tour that truly makes you want to run through a wall and that would be the hairy hood from providence rhode island on uh november 30th night two of the tour now, we've been really lucky of late to get some great hoods. I'm not going to say that this was the best of the last two years, two, three years, but the way that it moves into the Type 2 jam, peaks within that jam, and then seamlessly bleeds back into the traditional hairy hood peak is nothing short of perfection and one of the best versions we've heard in a very good period for the two. Yeah, this one peaks very hard. And is exceedingly tight, and especially when considered in light of the rest of the quite excellent show up to this point. It was just an extremely satisfying version of a song in a very good, uh, very good set selection for it. Yeah, I think that this was the best second set of the entire tour, um, and I think you and I texted during this. You know, it just felt like they capped off the set perfectly. Like some sets just demand a Harry Hood. And to have it be a really big one, like 16 minutes long, uh, was just fantastic. It just thematically bookended the overall uh, set and um, was just really satisfying, really good to listen to back on uh, on Relisten. And, and I'll just say, you know, 
giving you some context here from notable, notable Harry Hoods of late, if we just take the period of 2017 to 2019, um, I would say that there are four versions aside from this are absolute must-hears. Uh, July 29th, 2017, Cinnamon Night during the Baker's Dozen. August 31st, 2018, uh, the first time that Harry Hood had appeared in set one in 3.0. Uh, November 1st, 2018, a really great version from Vegas that includes a We Are Come to Our Live Our Brains uh, little jam in there. Uh, and then August 30th, 2019 from this year uh, at Dick's, which uh, I believe if it didn't close out the second set, it was quite close to closing out the second set and went into its own little uh, uh, modulated jam before peaking as well, which was which was quite great. Notice how we did not include the version for New Year's, which was broken in half by passing through for no good reason. There are few rules in fishdom. Don't <laughs> break apart my hairy hood. Just no. come on. Even, even for have mercy, like hairy hood should be one overall piece. Um... Jumping ahead, though, what do we got for our next uh, our next category here? Uh, seemed like a good idea at the time. This is the segment where we talk about an idea that may have been presented by the band or even the fan base. Who knows? Seemed like a great idea. But was it? What do we have as a seemed like a good idea at the time segment uh, for Fall Run 2019? The concept of no repeats. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think it's really fascinating that the band is as dedicated to this idea as they are. Um, it's just an amazing place in the career that they've reached when they're able to insert challenges like this and still play fantastic music. And this approach, I would say, reminded me a little bit more of the 2013 New Year's run than of, like, the Baker's Dozen. Um... I don't think it necessarily took away from the overall run and it felt like a fun little game for the fan base to play between shows, showcasing all the songs within their catalog. At the same time, whereas the Baker's Dozen and the approach there seemed to push them to jam 20, 25 minute jams here, it almost made them more conscious of playing songs. Um, perhaps it's that they know that they can do this because they got to the Baker's Dozen as a result, they're just more loose with their setless selections than they were during the overall planned Baker's does. I mean, that was a really planned run in a lot of cases. Totally. Whatever it is, I don't necessarily think like it added anything to the tour. Um, I wouldn't have really minded two tweezers, two down with diseases, you know, get a little bit of contrast in terms of the overall jamming. And I feel like some of this approach led to setlist ADD, a la Charleston night two set one, Pittsburgh, Providence night one, and most certainly uh, the entire third night of Char Charleston. Um, I'll say the last thing, kind of whatever the legacy of them doing this no repeats, I won't think of this tour in the same way that I thought of the Baker's Dozen when it comes to that aspect of like that was celebrated in the Baker's Dozen. I don't think it's necessarily celebrated here. No, I agree with everything that that you just said, and I kind of feel that rotations exist for a reason, and that it's yeah. it's a collection of songs that have been rehearsed, the band can play well, and the fan base loves to hear. I mean, there's nobody, nobody's ever going to complain about hearing Tweezer or Ghost like you know twice in the course of eight shows. Sometimes there's nothing you know wrong with giving the people what they want. Now, 
I think if you recall with Baker's Dozen, Trey's stated like a ridiculous amount of prep work went into the whole, you know, repeats thing, you know, like the rehearsal space ended up looking what, like Russell Crowe in like a beautiful mind and all sorts of <laughs> poster boards and like lines back and forth and like, you know, marker cross outs and all the permutations and unique covers and themes and whatnot. There was a plan in place. So... Here, uh, I don't know if no repeats that was going to happen from day one or they ended up backing into it after a few shows, but this felt less planned, more on a whim, and the problem is here is that at some points, I think especially nights two and three of the Charleston run, it showed. Like in the second set of Charleston night two, you can audibly hear Trey starting up and immediately backing away from songs in the moment. He realized he'd already played, which kind of has the effect of throwing him off and by proxy the rest of the band. Like, if Trey really feels like he wants to go into what's the use in the moment, I don't want any self-imposed band rules to keep him from doing so, you know? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Like, you talk about what's the use because, and this kind of gets to, I don't know if it's confusion I have, but um, the the thing that's so strange to me about this tour versus the Baker's Dozen is how much, especially in those first five shows before the Baker's Dozen began, but then continuing into it, jams were everywhere. And, you know, you think of a song like What's the Use, there are times where you're listening to a show and you're like, just keep this jam going, keep this jam going, it's great. And then Trey, like, feels himself around with a What's the Use lick and immediately goes in there. And it's it's nice, in a sense, to not have that uh, crutch there, if you will. But also, if you're not going to plan it out and you're just going to kind of go off the cuff in terms of song selections, you get this very fascinating, and I say fascinating in the kindest way possible, second set from December 8th, <laughs> where there are no real like massive song le- songs left and the jam vehicles are kind of outdated at this point. And so... You're just kind of throwing a song out here, a song out there. Maybe you try to jam out Stealing Time. Very cool segment there, but uh, it's not working as well as they wanted. So you go into Energy. Well, that's not working as well as they wanted. So you go into Soul Planet. Okay, you get to a nice jam space. Like, you start to get my point here. Yeah, December 8th was... um, Yeah, I think December 8th more so than the other nights because you're at night 8. I hesitate to use the word dregs because I don't think Fish really has dreg songs. It may be songs that aren't played quite as often that the fan base doesn't need to hear quite as much. And it just seemed like there was so much thinking going on. There was overthinking. They could never get comfortable in that set. It didn't have anything resembling a flow. And it just seemed to be instead of just letting the jams come, it was more like, what can we play here? What can we play here? What should we yeah. play here? And throwing it back to Charleston night two, the cross-eyed and painless jam from that night was just watching the gears and Trey's head turning. At one point, he's like, all right, I think I can go into free. Oop, can't do that. Start <laughs> playing the sense and subtle sound. Rib. Oh, shit, played that a few minutes ago. I know. I'll play What's the Use. Oh, fuck. I played that, too. All right, I guess I'll noodle around and end up on Little Drummer Boy and send everyone home happy. <laughs> and his and I credit, thought it, that worked out. That was, yeah, that yeah, was cool. it, worked, it worked great. I thought that um, 
most of Charleston Night 2 set to was fantastic, but, but I definitely heard yeah. that the first time I listened to the chapter to the uh, cross side, I was definitely like, uh, does he, do they even know what they're trying? Like, are they just like playing right now? Or are they actively searching for a new song? Um, like they went, yeah, they were, they went into D major and it was just like a catalog of all the D major songs that Trey would think of like free or sense and subtle sounds. And, you know, right. Right. The last thing I'll say about this is um, I am not as fascinated with total song count in a given year as some people in the fan base. That's okay. If that's your thing, I'm totally into the fact that Fish being like a baseball team, you can literally be into a thousand different things that other people are not into and you're still loving the same band. Um, so maybe this is like from a personal standpoint, like I don't necessarily need to see them break an annual song count, uh, record from, from years past. That's never really been the thing that's like drawn me. Um, I thought this tour and we'll, we'll talk about it here in a minute. Um, I thought this tour had some really great segments of jams, like great 11 to 15 minute long jams that, uh, got you some really cool ideas and I'll definitely be re-listening re to it. Um, but I think that, you know, you and I starting a podcast here based around fish jams that we then use to launch into other music, not having like the centerpiece tent pole, 22 minute, 23, 25 minute long jam. Um, you know, it's definitely something's lacking in my mind, I guess. And, and I, the only thing I can point to is the no repeats. Yeah. I would agree. I think, I imagine, I think Trey probably had a song list on stage like he usually does. Maybe the song list got more whittled down right. night after <laughs> night after night. I don't know what the song list looked like, but even the song list, you know, sometimes, you know, I love Trey, but he's 55 years old, and sometimes he's going to be like flailing around looking for a song in D major. <laughs> so... Um, moving on to our next section here, and this is kind of very fitting compared to what we were just talking about. If this tour were a baseball season, now the tour is over, would we have been in, in uh, playoff contention? Would we have made the playoffs? What do you say, Dave? I think at this point, it was just like a scrappy team. It's got some veterans. It has some really promising rookies. Just missed the playoffs, but is still entertaining all season long. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, I think the tour, parentheses, run, it's really a run, uh, has been great. It was great overall. Uh, if you're only going to play eight shows, though, you really have to come out determined to light every night on fire. And I don't think the Fish necessarily has, and I don't think that that's a bad thing. I just think it's the reality. Uh, it's fine. They clearly sound more comfortable than they did over the summer when they were introducing all the Casvolt Voxed and Ghost of the Forest songs into the rotation. And that really, I don't know if it's limited, but it just like shifted their overall perspective and focus during the summer. Um, 11.30 is probably the funniest show since December 29th, 2018. Just great vibes, hilarious energy. Um, and on the whole, I love most of the shows here. But to get to the playoffs... You either need another week to see about playing another show on the level of 11.30 or 12.6, or you'd have to approach 11.29, the tour opener, or 12.4 in Pittsburgh, or you know, definitely 12.8, the last night in Charleston, with a bit more urgency. As of recording, the 
winter meetings in baseball just started. So, uh, if this is a baseball team, the general manager has to grease some palms and Scott get on the phone <laughs> to have them in fighting form come next season. They're basically the 2019 Mets. They won 86 games, a lot of promise, still missed the playoffs. But, you know, like Brian was saying, I mean, really, I think the only shows on this run I kind of dislike were Providence Night 1 and uh, Charleston Night 3 for somewhat different reasons. I mean, Providence Night 1 to me was just more of a let's get our feet wet. We don't quite have the feel yet, but we'll make it up to you. Whereas Charleston Night 3 was just more of a kind of a slop fest, both in terms of setless selection, both in terms of flubs, and the fact that you could really see the gears grinding too, too much. Yeah, that's the other thing about Charleston Night 3 is it's a very sloppy show. There were some moments I was sitting on the couch watching the show just going, you guys need to like just take a breather on this song and restart it. Like, what's what's happening here? Like, Wingsuit was just an abomination. <laughs> um, all right. Really good trace solo, though. That was, yeah. That, that Wingsuit peaked extremely high. Yeah, it was quite good. The composed section was a bit weak, but the peak was... You made uh, up for it. You're absolutely right. I was impressed. Yeah. All right. right, So we've talked through this little run here. Uh, Let's be honest, though. How many of these shows are you actually going to listen to again? Definitely November 30th in Providence. Uh, Absolutely. Charleston Night 1. And if we could actually get a decent stream of... uh, Met Philly December 3rd I would totally listen to that again but I right now what uh, the only thing I have is a rip from Sirius and that ain't cutting it <laughs> yeah I would put uh, November 30th I would agree with all those um, I'd put November 30th up there with the best shows of the last 18 months uh, I have it just a notch below uh, December 30th 2018 and July 14th 2019 I have it on par with October 23rd, 2018. I think you feel differently about this. No. October 23rd is a much better show. Sorry. The uh, first set from that show says otherwise, but but uh, I understand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> October 26, 2018. They play Cool It Down the first set. It's a great yeah. barbecue set. It's Wolfman's a, Cool It Down, a lot of stuff. It's a barbecue set that if it had the hilarious intros that never once got old on uh, Saturday Night in Providence. I don't know how it didn't go old. I thought after the second time they did it that the, I was going like to be really Dolby annoyed. Intro. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it right. so much. Um, uh, October 26, 2018. November 2nd, 2018. December 29th, 2018. February 22nd, 2019 from Mexico. Mm. Uh, Charlotte, uh, June 21st. Camden Night 3, June 30th. And Mohegan Sun, uh, July 9th. I, I put it on par with those shows. Set one's got great gimmicks, great song selection. The Punch in the Eye uh, intro is just inspiring to say the least. Uh, got a Jabu is fantastic. Stash into Plasma, just kind of continues the hijinks of the previous night and really made you feel like there was um, like a connection between those two shows in Providence. Set two, that bathtub Jr. goes very deep, gets very loud and dark and funky Alaska I know when people hear a second set Alaska they uh, they can't get to the bathroom fast enough but this one actually got like some dark and kind of violent improv towards the end it was very cool Yeah. and then it goes right into 
fantastic was to use. Really good placement, good use of space. I mean, one of, you know, I mean, the versions don't differ that much, but this one had uh, had the extra, as they say. Yeah, it got silent and sounded like what's going to happen in six trillion, 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 trillion years when the black holes start to die off and all energy just go, fades away. It just was fascinating. And then Golden Age into War Plasma Joke and into the Fantastic Hood, which we mentioned. And what's kind of great about this set is that you know, I think the set itself is about 65 minutes. There isn't any wasted songs. Oh, wait. The, there's a piper in there, too, which is great. There's a piper in there, yeah. It's yeah. quite good. There's an excellent piper in that set. Yeah, there's no nothing wasted. None of, like, um, you know, the perfunctory 25-minute cooldown. It's just hood, bang, and then you get another fantastic encore. Really good encores in this tour, we'll say. Yeah, they were really crushing encores. You get... Big Black Furry Creature from Mars, Kung, Wombat, Possum, and then one more Plasma. Can't really argue with it. Um, I had a buddy of mine over. Shout out to Ryan Smith, who just starting to get into fish and starting to teach him about this. He was over for that second set, and it was a really good second set to have someone who's just getting into fish over because showed a little bit of like the best parts of them from a jamming standpoint, song selection standpoint, and then a hilarious encore. Um Jumping ahead to the next Friday, uh, December 6th, the first night in Charleston, we get a really strong set one with some great calls and excellent playing. You get your first Carolina since December 30th, 2016. Somehow, you know what? I'm such an idiot. I only just made the connection that they played Carolina because the show is in South Carolina. <laughs> Damn. Well done. Uh, first one since December 30th, 2016, which is somehow 103 shows ago, which I can't believe. Uh, Destiny Unbound went into a legit jam. Really great version. Set two is a quite fluid masterpiece. One of the best sense and subtle sounds ever played. We'll uh, have some more on this a bit later. Excellent placement for your pet cat. Best version of Limb by Limb since uh, August 28th, 2012 from St. Louis. Very well-placed Lizards. Uh, the song itself wasn't played quite as cleanly as I would have liked, but it was excellent, excellent placement for that song. And then you get your first Bittersweet Motel from Ju- since July 6, 2016. 134 shows. Clearly, Trey had meant to play that in Pittsburgh and then played it in uh, Charleston, which was great. Um, and one of my favorite placements for uh, Death Don't Hurt Very Long, a song that's really suffered from poor placement uh, in, in 2019 and really shines in this book. And then, finally, we get to December 3rd. I mean, look, we love that show. I love set one, the 2001. The second set is one of the wackiest versions of that played uh, song played in 3.0. It got incredibly dissonant, almost like house music. That coupled with the gigantic stadium light rig thrown inside the 3000 CT that was the Met was quite a sound and fury experiment. But... Um, you know, while we're hardly oblivious to how exclusivity periods and business works, it's a little odd because, you know, um, that we can't listen to the show in Live Fish Fidelity. I have a feeling it's going to show up on Live Fish at some point sooner than later, but I mean, Sirius just didn't do that good a job in terms of uh, times. Trace seems pretty much inaudible. I mean, it sometimes doesn't even seem like they're playing in a theater, right? You know? 
Yeah, I mean, I I have zero issues with the overall exclusivity of the of the event. I think it's cool that they allowed a lot of their fans, both you know, longtime fans and also people that just happen to win tickets. You know, seeing people over the last six to eight weeks come on Twitter and be like, I'm going to the Met was such an exciting thing because you're like, fuck, that's a once in a lifetime experience for you. That's awesome. Um, it was. I think uh, the only issue I have is, you know, Fish built their entire career based on tape trading and uh, the trading of uh, tapes of their shows between fans and to take one of those shows and just lift it away for anyone, for no one to hear uh, in you know, their quality. I mean, I get it, but I'm also like, this kind of goes against the overall uh, message that the band has been putting out for 35 years. But I, I do hope that we hear it on uh, Live Fish because I think it's a great show worth hearing in full. Shout out to the barbecue food truck that was camped outside of the Met that allowed me to have bacon, mac, and cheese during set break. That was <laughs> an experience I will not soon forget. So let's jump into our last segment here before we move on with the show and move on with this fall tour parentheses run as it was. The This Is Why We Do This Award. Dave, why do we do this? We do this on the hopes that we will be present for something like the version of Sense and Subtle Sounds that they played the first night of Charleston, the second set. My God. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable fluid version, texting you throughout it, uh, texting a couple other friends who just couldn't be at Couch Tour that night. Um, I was at the whole stay that night, actually. So I was. Oh, yeah, you were. You were. Yeah, I was at a whole steady concert, drinking cups of Pacifico, jumping up and down, screaming, and checking the set list as it came in and kept pressing the refresh button and seeing sense of subtle sounds, subtle sounds, and subtle sounds. I'm like, oh, all right, it's getting out there. <laughs> Great, great version. I would say it's top five version ever up there chronologically with July 23rd, 03. July 30th, 03, we covered that in episode 15. August 12th, 04 from Camden. August 12th, 2015 from The Man. And uh, December 6th, 2019. You know, we've gotten a slight bit of pushback on the Twitters about leaving August 2nd, 03. Uh, August 4th, 2017, and November 3rd, 2018 off the list. To be clear, I love all those versions. None of you are wrong. It's not as though it's not a, they're not great versions. Uh, they're amazing. I just think they're a slight notch below the five versions I listed. They don't go nearly as deep. They don't cross that threshold and keep going, um, particularly like the August 4th, 2017 version. Great, great jam. Basically just turns into a no man's jam again. I love it. I really dig it, but I want them to... Uh, continue evolving in the jam and we've heard now five versions that absolutely do that that I love yeah this was very fluid thoughtful and just effortless jamming this is what we want out of the song it really covered a lot of ground and for all you all you Broadway nerds out there at one point it sounded like Trey was uh, trying to play a comedy tonight from a funny thing happened on the way to the forum it was looked at one like dun 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 didn't didn't quite get there. There uh, actually may be a Broadway-themed episode of Beyond the Pond in the not-too-distant future. We're looking forward to that. But yeah, I think at this point, the best thing we can do before going on is actually playing you a segment of uh, 
the incredible version of Sets and Subtle Sounds from Night One in Charleston.
All right. So we are here now in episode four with our final new album recommendations of 2019, which in theory makes this our final new album recommendations of the entire decade. Let that sink in for a moment. So I'm going to talk about one of my favorite artists of the decade, one of my favorite records of the year, a record that would have made my top 20. That episode is coming out in four days, but it was released a little bit late in the year. And that is Nils from All Encores. The song that we're going to play off this is Talesman. So this is a companion piece of sorts to Fromm's 2018 LP, All Melody, and is in theory just a collection of three separate EPs released over the last year. But it's so much more than that. It flows together in such a phenomenal way. This is probably my favorite work of his since 2014, Spaces. Came out in late October. Like I said, it's been my rotation ever since. Even made my honorable mentions list. If this comes out two, three months earlier, it makes probably my top 20, definitely my top 30. Uh, it's very sparse. It's barren. Contrasts with his most recent work. All melodies showcase his overall ambition. All encores showcases his control and overall restraint. The most important aspect of this album, honestly, is the layers. In place of an overt focus on melody, the forward progression of a song, here we are left with space layered upon space. In line with one of my other recent favorite albums, Leo Sversky's River Without Banks, this is an ideal winter record that I've been playing a ton as I walk on the train to work, as I do work while the light is fading at what feels like three o'clock in the afternoon up on high in a skyscraper. It's just a record that uh, I keep spinning. It keeps just kind of finding its way into my overall rotation, and I think that you guys would enjoy it. So let's play a little bit of Tailsman off of Nils Fromm's All Encores.
Okay, Brian, thank you uh, for talking about that Nils Fromm album. So I'm going to discuss an album that I actually only just started listening to this week. I think it came out the first week of November, so it would have been a bit late to get into um, my top albums of the year. But this is an artist called Sudan Archives. album is called Athena, and the song we're going to play is called Iceland Moss. And Sudan Archives... That's the project name of the Los Angeles-based musician Brittany Parks, and she's a violinist by trade. I think uh, Sudan Archives kind of refers to uh, the style which she plays in, which is influenced uh, by both Sudan and Ghana, I believe. And in addition to playing the violin, she also sings and incorporates hip-hop beats and all manner of uh, bass-heavy rhythm and blues. So sign of... She kind of traffics in somewhat of a, a sultry brand of R&B with all these things. Um, I'm only just getting into this album. I was a very big fan of her uh, Sync EP from 2018. This is a much more uh, fully realized effort. And I think kind of maybe as the best intro to what she's about, do yourself a favor and go to YouTube to check out her uh, Queen Kunta remake of Kendrick Lamar's King Kunta which she does all the vocals, she has a sampler, she does all the beats, she's kind of sampling her violin on the fly, almost sort of uh, like Andrew Bird, except much funkier than anything that Andrew Bird is really ever capable of. So if all that sounds appealing to you, I definitely would recommend you check out Athena from Sudan Archives. Let's listen to a bit of Iceland Moss. I'm tired Part two of our overall, I guess, second segment in this fall recap episode. What are we listening to right now? This is the segment where we open the vaults and give you guys a little bit of insight into the music that is pushing us forward right now. Doesn't have to be new music, doesn't have to be old music, just whatever we're listening to. And what I have been listening to over the last two or three weeks, I would say, aside from Fish, is Wilco's 2014 Rivera Run. This is their uh, 20th anniversary shows. They played six nights at one of their home venues. Um, They don't go through every single one of their songs like they did a decade earlier at the Riviera, 
but they dig deep, play thematically different set lists every single night. There's great banter. There's really great songwriting. Uh, there's really great memories, moments throughout it that really showcase how special the band Wilco is and how special of a project it's been over a uh, 20-year period at this point in time. Now, what's interesting is I've been a huge proponent of the fact that the last five years of Wilco have been like a second or third career peak for the band. And I just saw them about a month ago on the Ode to Joy tour and was all the more convinced that this was you know the right approach and the right view. I mean, they're just... The sound that they're making right now is so deep. It's so simple, but just like so connected with all uh, six musicians. And it's fascinating to listen to this 2014 run, not just because it's a great collection of all these great Wilco songs across 20 years, but it's really the last moment that you see the band before they step into this reinvention that comes with Star Wars. Uh, Tweety's Sucre came out earlier in 2014, and that to me is kind of the defining, like that's the first step into where they are right now. But as a band, Star Wars is the moment that that Wilco really announces their, their next project, their next intention. So it's a really fascinating look at a band that accomplished so much in 20 years, but it almost reached a point where they kind of reached the end of a certain line, and no one would know if it was necessary for them to go forward at that point in time or not. Um, highlights from this run. This is very condensed because there's like 30, 32 songs played every night, and most nights have a completely different set list. Uh, the entire run opens with Via Chicago, which is appropriate. There's a very intense and raw version of Camera on 12.5. Tweety's banter throughout is just top-notch. Uh, the song that we're going to play here associated with this record is the acoustic take on Art of Almost, which is just wild to hear it in its developmental stage uh night two opens up with less than you think into ashes of american flags great great stretch of songs there's a stretch of 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 tunes on um december 8th that is just total perfection i'm going to read that these to you company in my back hell is chrome war on war pot kettle black sunken treasure no more poetry cars can't escape pie holding sweet Misunderstood, Someday Soon, Summer Teeth, It's Just That Simple, You and I, Someday, Some Morning, Sometime, Laminated Cat, Airline to Heaven, and Feet of Man. Just an incredible string of songs I would love to see live altogether at some point. Uh, 12.9 features a One Sunday Morning opener. It's a great performance of Dash 7, one of my favorite songs from Wilco of all time. You get an acoustic take on Spiders, and on 12-12, the final show of the overall run, you get a red-eyed and blue into I Got You at the End of the Century opener, a song that always seems to be featured at either closing out the, the, the set or uh, as, the, as the encore. It should be an opener way more. Um, like I said, since then, the band has released Star Wars, Schmilko, and Ode to Joy, three of their most exciting albums in 15 years. It's been nothing short of a total career revival. All that makes it that much more special to see them celebrating their legacy here at the end of 2019, excuse me, at the end of 2014. So we're going to listen to a little bit of that acoustic take on Art of Almost from December 5th, 2014.
Okay. Brian actually just informed me that on Nugsnet, there's um, December 31st, 2004, which was a Wilco show I was at at Madison Square Garden. So, yeah, that was when Fish was broken up, so you had to have weird-ass things like Slater Kinney and the Flaming Lips and Wilco at MSG. I hadn't really thought about that show in many years, but I'm curious to hear what it sounds like now. So I'm going to go dial that up a little bit. But in terms of stuff I'm listening to right now, um, I have been listening a lot to the new Beck album called Hyperspace. And we're going to play the song Stratosphere off of that. I was uh, surprised to actually be enjoying this Beck album as much as I have been. He's I really haven't fully enjoyed a Beck album since his album Modern Guilt, which I want to say came out in 2008. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, okay. I think that Beck is kind of at his best. He's not trying to prove anything. And that's kind of what <laughs> Modern Guilt felt like. Like, tossed off Beck is the best sounding Beck. I mean, I think Modern Guilt is still probably my favorite, you know, non-classic Odelay, Midnight Vultures era album of his. And Hyperspace kind of has that feel. It's a little ramshackle. It's like the beats are almost kind of skeletal. And then side B gets very introspective, kind of very much like a morning phase or uh, like sea change. It gets a bit dark. I know I think he's recently gone through a divorce, and it's kind of dark and kind of human and just really has a really good flow to it. I mean, really, the last thing I was expecting to really enjoy was a Beck album in 2019. His last album, Colors was trying way too hard, and it showed. And this is kind of, he takes a step back. I think Pharrell does a bunch of the production on this record, and he's, Pharrell is the furthest thing away from a maximalist. He uh, does a lot with little. I think that was kind of useful for uh, Beck's development on this record. So we're going to listen to a bit of the song (coughs) uh, Stratosphere, which allegedly has backing vocals from Coldplay's Chris Martin, I can't really hear them, but it definitely sounds like something that he would sing on. And unrelated to Beck, for some odd reason, I would listen to heck out of Genesis's Invisible Touch for some reason. I think that album doesn't get nearly enough credit for how weird it is in the sense that it has these like totally sappy, like no jacket required Phil Collins ballads like in too deep and throwing it all away. And the title track is, I guess, a bit more Genesis-y. And it has, like, some of the craziest progs that they did in the 80s with, like, the song Domino, which I had no idea that Tony Banks wrote all the lyrics to. Thanks, Wikipedia. And then it closes with this totally wacky synth instrumental synth and drums called The Brazilian, which, when I thought about how much my mom listened to this record and how she would always fast-forward through The Brazilian just to get back to Invisible Touch because The Brazilian was too much for her to take... It was too intense. My mom couldn't deal with the prog awesomeness. But I'm cool with it. And it also has the song uh, called Anything She Does, which I always thought was just a really fillerish Phil Collins outtake. But according to Wikipedia, it's entirely written by Tony Banks and is actually about pornography. So I'm viewing that song in a totally new light than I have at any other point in my life right now. So yeah. Visible Touch by Genesis. Check it out. Turn 
All right. Thank you guys so much for hanging with us here in episode 84, where we covered Fish's Fall Tour, excuse me, <clears throat> Fish's Fall Run from 2019. Eight shows doesn't make a tour, guys, you know. A um, couple quick recap here of our songs played aside from the Sense and Subtle Sounds, which we played as well. Uh, new album recommendations, I played Talesman off of Nils Fromm's All Encores. Dave played Iceland Moss off of Sudan Archives' Athena. In segment two, what are we listening to right now? Not like right now because we're recording this podcast, but like right now. Uh, I played an acoustic take on Art of Almost off of Wilco's 2014 Riviera Run. And Dave played Stratosphere off of Beck's Hyperspace, which may or may not have come also off of Genesis's Invisible Touch. No, I'm kidding. Beck's no, Hyperspace. Not. Stratosphere. <laughs> definitely not. I didn't know that uh, that Mike Rutherford wrote the lyrics to Land of Confusion as well, which got just, man, some things almost I don't want to know about Genesis, that Mike Rutherford had like a songwriting credit in Land of Confusion. So just a reminder, we are easily accessible on social media. You can find us on Twitter at underscore beyond the pond. That's one word. Simplecast page, beyondthepond.simplecast.fm. Of course, we can be found on Spotify. There's the Beyond the Pond Master Podcast Song Playlist. It's seriously unwieldy. It probably has almost 500 songs at this point. But to the extent that we have songs we talk about that are available on Spotify, we will put them in the Master Playlist. As always, you can find us on uh, OsirisPod.com as we are proud members of the Osiris Podcast Network. At that website, you can find all of the fantastic podcasts of the Osiris family, which we welcome you to check out. And leave us an iTunes review because we read them. We get a kick out of them. We pass them back and forth. And anything to increase our visibility in Apple land is a good thing. Absolutely. From a publishing standpoint, uh, so we are nearing the end of our calendar year here. This uh, episode coming out here for you in the second week of December. We have two more episodes coming out for you here in 2019. So next Tuesday, December 17th, we've got our annual top albums of the year episode. We counted down our favorite albums of the decade back in October. We get our top albums of the year 2019, a phenomenal year in music. That's going to drop here on Tuesday, December 17th, as well as all of the uh, top five lists from our listeners. And then the following Monday, December 23rd, as you are traveling back home for the Christmas holidays, as you're hanging out in your parents' living room trying to figure out why in the hell your dad still has uh, the Breaking Bad finale on DVR when it's clearly available on streaming services? While you're drinking your parents' Bud Light and wondering where the craft beer shops are in town, you Did will you just have... call it your dad? No, I actually didn't. I no? don't think he has. They do have a DVR, which is really funny. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we'll be dropping uh, our holiday run special number three. This is kind of a best of holiday runs. Uh, 
if you will, when we cover one of our favorite shows, one of our favorite jams, and some of our favorite holiday music. So definitely not one to be missed. And then following that, we will take a couple of weeks off hiatus, if you will. Um, Still trying to figure out exactly when we'll come back in 2020. But uh, whenever we do come back, we will come back with our MSG 2019 recap. So keep an eye out for all of that here. And um, I've well, I've said this in the uh, episodes that will be coming out in the next two weeks. Thank you guys so much for uh, all your listening, all your tweeting, all your retweeting, all your arguments, all your praises, all your questions that we've gotten throughout 2019. It's been a really exciting year for the podcast. Um, I've certainly enjoyed it. I know that uh, I speak for both of us that we love the direction this is all going in and uh we just love uh, putting this out here for you guys on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, it's going in a seriously exciting direction. We are hopefully going to have a very stacked 2020 for you. Also, just a reminder, we've been seeing a lot of uh, people's Spotify year-end wrap-up lists, which are fascinating. We also want to talk about our responsible Spotify use. It's great for playlists and for the car and for the gym, especially when you can't bring your vinyl player on the treadmill. But it isn't, uh, it's just not enough. You really got to buy vinyl records. You got to go to concerts. You have to buy merchandise. You have to buy CDs. You got to buy things in Bandcamp. Basically, anything possible to make sure that the money gets into the hands of your favorite artists, you still have to do. And Spotify, though great, isn't quite enough. But on that note, much like Brian said, I've uh, really enjoyed this year of our podcast. We've had some interesting interviews interesting discussions um you know we've kind of scaled heights that really didn't quite think possible and we're getting closer and closer to number 100 which we're going to hit in 2020 and that is going to be something special indeed so please come back in a few days we will all hold hands we will sing kumbaya we will fight fish myopia and try to introduce you to as much new music as possible as we go beyond the pond. Osiris.